You're now listening to the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm Keen Reinhardt, and this is where we bring you the week's news in bite-sized portions. On page one of this week's Limerick Post newspaper, David Raleigh reports that a tribute to Hero Gardaí was hit by COVID restrictions. The widow of Limerick detective Garda, Jerry McCabe, who was murdered by the IRA during a botched robbery in Adair, has described how she was unable to attend a remembrance ceremony for her husband and 87 other officers because of COVID-19 restrictions. Anne McCabe and other family members watched a poignant annual Garda Memorial Day ceremony on May 18 in her home through a streaming service. She told the Limerick Post, I watched it in my sitting room, but it was very moving and a few tears were shed. It was very sad for us really, because it is a lovely ceremony and normally you do get to meet a lot of retired members, serving members and friends you might not have met for some time. The ceremony is held in Dublin Castle to remember Gardaí who have died in the line of duty. Justice Minister Charlie Flanagan and the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris observed social distancing guidelines at the event, which is normally attended by hundreds of family members and friends. And that story is available in full on page one of this week's Limerick Post newspaper and online at limerickpost.ie. And on page four, Bernie English writes, action needed before hospital trolley figures rise again. The trolley crisis is looming again with numbers waiting for beds at University Hospital Limerick higher than the combined total for every other hospital in the country. On Thursday last, 42 of the 74 patients waiting for inpatient beds across the entire Irish hospital system were lying on trolleys at UHL. This accounts for 57% of all trolley figures collected by the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. INMO Assistant Regional Director Mary Fogarty said, what we are seeing in Limerick is beyond belief. UHL has more patients on trolleys today than all the other hospitals in Ireland put together. Any overcrowding is unacceptable at the best of times. But with COVID-19, this presents a serious danger of infection and trans- transmission of the virus to staff and vulnerable patients. Hospitals should be limiting occupancy to safety limits, not going beyond 80% capacity in times of such high infection risk. A spokesman for the UL Hospitals Group said that there was a high degree of clinical activity at UHL and across the group's hospital sites in the Midwest. We must emphasise that all patients currently waiting for admission to UHL are doing so in the most appropriate assessment and isolation facilities. He said that the pattern in the Midwest of non-COVID patients returning was much as expected. However, many had become very ill while waiting and this meant longer hospital stays. This in turn had an effect on bed flow. And you can read that story in full on page four of this week's Limerick Post newspaper and online at limerickpost.ie. And on page 14 in more health news, Bernie English writes, cancer diagnosing services are fully operational. A leading consultant with the University Hospital Limerick's group has moved to assure people concerned about their health that its full range of testing facilities is open for business. Consultant haematologist Dr. Dennis O'Keefe said that the COVID-19 pandemic has caused considerable anxiety, but the group's hospital diagnostic services continue to accept referrals and are safe to attend. Dr. O'Keefe said that many weeks of planning went into ensuring essential services remained open and these plans are now in operation. Hospital services have been reconfigured to stream non-COVID patients from confirmed or query COVID patients to minimise the risk of transmission. These patients are assessed and treated in separate areas. We continue to diagnose and treat new cancers and we are encouraging anybody who has a concern to contact their GP and seek advice at the earliest opportunity, he said.
And in this week's Limerick Post show, Kira Brennan from Happy Food at Home came into studio pre-lockdown to chat all about vegan food, her company, and she shared a recipe with Megan Scully. Joining me now in studio, it is Kira Brennan of Happy Food at Home, and I just have to say, I love the name first of all. <laughs> um, and you are a vegan, and it's all vegan food. All vegan food, and I always use the word plant-based because I think vegan has some kind of negative connotations oh, to it. A lot of people go vegan, oh, you know, and they'll just go, they'll just back away. So I use plant-based, but I think it's more recognised when we say vegan, isn't it, really? I think, yeah, especially now with the whole Veganuary movement that takes place yes. in January, and I think veganism is obviously growing by the day. Yeah. More and more people I know, and they're just choosing plant-based and vegan lifestyle. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people are saying for healthy reasons, um, also wanted to cut down on meat. Um, for, for, there's so many different reasons out there, and I yeah. think everyone has a different one. But I guess a lot of people will recognise you from Lim Milk Market. Yes, yeah. You have your, you're there every weekend? I'm there upstairs um, on the Little Top Cafe, yeah. Um, we're there every Saturday morning, yeah, from very early on. Oh, <laughs> we I know, set it's an early start We set you. up at half five, and Ooh. our first customers come in at half seven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is a long day too, isn't it? It's gr- No, but it's great. The energy in the milk market is fantastic. It's I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a great place to work, I have to say. It's so much fun. Actually, yeah. I do love getting my trips in there. It's like, there's so much to do, so much to see. You meet so many people. Great energy. And then there's always something new to look at. Yeah. You know, and it, it is keeping up with the time. So, you know, we've got a great, we've got great new stalls, like with foraging and like, the, you know, lots of things are happening all the time. So, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Now, do take me back to getting into the food industry. And I suppose, yeah. I know you went from vegetarian to vegan um, yeah. can I say were you a meat eater oh no I ate meat I was forced yeah. to eat meat when I was younger typically growing up like yeah yeah your meat and your two veg like that's what you have so um, my mum was giving me everything that you normally mm. have so spaghetti bolognese pork chops um, you know all the usual type of staple dishes um, but I just couldn't eat it Okay. So even as a very, very young child, she remembers feeding me spaghetti bolognese and it just went straight back across the room. So she said she'd, she'd never force feed me again. Okay. Um, I found it very hard to eat pork. You know, pork, pork chops really and things heavy, like yeah, that were me. just... It was just, it was the, the thought of eating animals and the texture just didn't suit me. Okay. Now, I studied in hotel management as we go on into, you know, when I hit in my, my 20s. I had to eat meat. There is no way you yeah. could train as a chef in Switzerland and say, oh, no, I'm not eating meat because they'd throw you across the floor because, you know, that's what you would do, especially in Switzerland. You know, I mean, it was serious. Really good meat, though, I suppose, as well. And Really good meat, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's I always liked really good meat, but... You know, you and I think as well, I find, really yeah, I find when I'm in a restaurant and I, I'm ordering something, I'll always ask, like, what would you recommend? And I suppose you kind of, when you ask them what, what they'd recommend, it's because you have assumed they've eaten everything on the menu and they can yeah. actually say, well, this is what my preferred dish is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you know what? So many people don't do that. <coughs> Sorry, after working in the industry for many years, because I studied in, in Shannon, yeah. like a lot of people wouldn't even ask you that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's um, just me, so. Yeah, no, but that's a, it's a really good question to ask because, <coughs> sorry, I've got a cough, because um, the chefs will always say, look, push these dishes or this is fresh in. Yeah. You know, they'll always tell the staff, you know, what, what are, are, you know, the front of line staff, should I say, what they should be pushing and what, what is really good. So it's a really good question okay, to ask. Okay, yeah. that's okay. So then bring us on to becoming a vegetarian and stepping away then from yeah. the, the meat So world. I think as I got older and my mum was sick of finding, you know, everything on the floor. So, you know, if I was given a pork chop, I'd chop it up and push it on the floor and even the dog mightn't have eaten it all. <laughs> so um, it got to a stage where I just said, look, I have to just go vegetarian. Now, vegetarian back in those days, you still ate even white chicken, fish, Okay. Yeah. 
And because there was no such thing as a pescatarian. Yeah. Like this is only just recent, really. So I would be eating that, but I would eat, be eating a lot of veg. Always love my veg. My mum reckoned I saw a dead pheasant on a table and I was that against is. eating meat or any type of animal, really. Um, now, it's very hard to associate cheese with, with animals because it comes in a nice, you know, processed packet and tastes delicious. So you never associate mm. that with a cow or a sheep or a goat or something. So um, I just be, I just became a vegetarian. Myself and my friend actually were vegetarian for years and years. Um, and then obviously when I went to um, Shannon, I had to taste food, mm-hmm. you know, so I would have to taste food and make sure that everything was cooked properly. And went and ran my own kitchen. Then when I qualified, I was working in Switzerland and London. Um, and I just hated cooking 20 million steaks a night. Yeah. And not 20 million now, but, you know. Well, I suppose as someone who was a vegetarian, having to cook steak, steak all the and, time. And lamb. Lamb used to really upset me. Yeah. You know, so if I was cooking lamb, um, that would upset me. Um, and I just said, you know what, I don't think I can do this. So the repetitiveness, I never liked anyway. Yeah. I never liked the production of anything. Um, I'm not really good. I'm really good at creation. I'm not good at doing the same thing, you know, yeah. in uniform. Never been my forte. So, um I moved into HR, moved into training and development, got another degree in training, started teaching full time, still teach now. And in 2016, I just said to my daughter, I think I'd like to start going vegan. You know, what do you think? So we started to transition and it took us nearly two years to transition fully. Hey, interesting. Now fully because we went for ethical reasons. So we're talking shampoo, makeup, yeah. leather, getting rid of anything that's associated with animals. And um, the diet was easy because I never brought red meat into mm-hmm. the house. Um, but Shane and my daughter would eat sausages. She would eat chicken, things yeah. like that. So it was just replacing that. I like, though, that you took time because I think that's the thing with a lot of people when they make a diet or lifestyle change. They just do it straight away, cold turkey, and then excuse the like animal pun there. Yeah. But they just do it and they um, like that they don't survive or they don't last or six weeks They later. don't. It's like anything. You have to take it step yeah, by step and you really have to find replacements. Mm. So... Um, you know, when I do cooking demos or when I'm doing starting this course that we'll be talking about, it will be literally about how to transition yeah. safely and how to transition in a way that you can actually really enjoy it because it is a big thing. Mm. If you're thinking, okay, I'm going home and I'm going to have my bacon, my cabbage and my potato and somebody says, you're now going vegan and you go, okay, I'm taking away the bacon. I can't yeah. put butter into my spuds unless exactly. I get vegan butter. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and people, people even struggle with how do I cook my sprouts? At Christmas, if I if I'm mm. vegan, there are so many different things that happen. How do I have spaghetti bolognese? You can have all of those things. You just do it in a different way. And in this week's We Are Limerick podcast, I caught up with artist Liam Madden, who's involved in the Creatives Against COVID nineteen initiative. And Liam told me all about the movement. My my own name is Liam Madden, and um, I originally have a background in fine art. Um, I studied in the Limerick College of Art and Design. Um, I left i got a diploma in fine art printmaking and in i think it was 2012 or 11 i think i went back and i decided for my sins i decided to um, go back to college and gain a degree in visual communication and subsequently since i gained that i've um, i'm just near completion of a master's in art and design so i've kind of amalgamated the fine art side of it and the design aspect and kind of mash them together to create and a bit of technology thrown in on top of that like so yeah so it's it's all good like i i, I love um i love creativity you know it's, it's it's it keeps me sane like you know yeah and uh, how did you decide on doing fine art the first time around um i suppose like 
Uh, art and design has been a big part of my family and my background. So my grandfather, I suppose, was a an architect. He worked in um, a place called, he worked in Sheehan's, I think it was in Limerick. I can't remember the name of the place in Dublin he worked in, but he's, as my mother says, he's kind of, uh, uh, supposedly has des- uh, designed a church in every county in Ireland. Oh, but he's also... He also designed um, some iconic um, buildings in Limerick. So my local church here in Ross Bryan, Our Lady of Lourdes, he did. He also, I think he'd something to do with the old courthouse in Limerick and St. Munchens College as well. The school, like, so, which is a pretty impressive building, like, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so my mother then also, because my grandfather um, did architecture, my mother got involved in that. But then she kind of dropped that and she set up a business called um, the Art for Pleasure Centre, which sadly has just uh, closed its doors after 35 years because she's retired. But, um, you know, it was basically an outlet for, for, for people to come and paint for pleasure and in a nice environment. And, you it's know, really learn something. for a place to have, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, yeah. and uh, great for people doing it because it's a bit of social interaction and, and you've something nice at the end of it and show your friends or whichever. So, yeah, my mother at the moment is, is trying to adjust to life without that because I suppose it's been a huge part of her life for the last yeah. 35 years, you know. There's so, a better way to adjust to that than being locked down. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, my sister then is, uh, she studied graphic design in the Limerick College of Art and Design as well. And she's based in London now. And she's, I suppose she works with a lot of the high end kind of hotels in London and some of the top brands around the world, oh, you know. So I suppose art and design has been a big part of our family, you know. Um, and, I was going to ask uh, where your inspiration comes from, but uh, I think the people around you inspire you enough, do they? Yeah. Basically, my mother, my mother, like, is, is a very inspiring woman, you know, um, you know, she really is, like, and um, I've learned a lot from her and my sister as well, like, you know, um, I didn't really know my grandfather, I didn't meet, I think I only met him a couple of times, you know, so I didn't really know him, but um, I suppose my sister and my mother have been uh, a, a huge in- inspiration for me, you know. And uh, you said you went back to college then, what was the reasoning behind that, or was it just... Uh... Um, well, I went away, I, I kind of... I did my diploma in fine art and I kind of um, I enjoyed the social life, you know, for, for many years after that. And then I decided to, um, I was quite ill for a bit. And then I, once I recovered from that, I said, right, I want to see the world. So I went away traveling for a year on my own and went over to Southeast Asia and Australia and I had, the, had a, a great time for a year, you know, but it got me thinking. I had so much time on my own that it got me thinking, what, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? So I said, right, you know, what, what am I good at? Like, and I suppose I just decided, I said, I always kind of wanted to do graphic design, visual communication. So I said, you know, to hell with it, that's what I'm going to do. So I went back and that's what made me go back, you know. And to be honest with you, anybody out there thinking what will I do, um, you know, just follow your heart really and do what yeah. you want to do. I think uh, people don't really take enough time to sit down and think about exactly what they want to do. It, it all seems so rushed nowadays, doesn't it? Especially, absolutely. Like life has has become so fast, you know, and it's yeah. very hard to slow down. Like you know, and I suppose um, I would, you know, anybody in that kind of situation, I would say just pause for a bit, like, and have a have a good think about what you want to do with the rest of your life because it's an important decision. Once you make that decision, it's, it's kind of done then, you know, yeah. and you have to be kind of careful what you kind of choose, you know, make sure that it's something you've a real draw for. 
you know exactly yeah that you get some fulfillment out of absolutely like yeah. absolutely so uh your original background was in fine art but uh yeah. a lot of your work now uh, is very different and structured compared to most what people would assume is fine art. Absolutely. Well, it's not really fine art. I suppose it's it's more graphic art, you know, yeah. commercial art. So, um, I, yeah, it's it's something I absolutely love. I don't really consider it a job. I consider it a hobby, really, and something that I just love doing every day. You know, it's not. Um, no, there are aspects of it that I don't like. <laughs> you know, like. Um, <laughs> You know, some things can get a bit tedious and boring, but when, yeah. when you're in the creative flow, it's, 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 it's so, um, I, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I'm, I'm privileged to be able to say that I do love it. Yeah. You're lucky enough in yeah. that respect. Uh, yeah. So we're here today to chat about the uh, creatives against COVID-19. And uh, yes, that's, I think there's more than 200 and something artists involved in that from 30 something different countries. Yeah, I, gee, I thought it was more than 200 now. I'm not, I'm not sure there could, myself. There could be a lot more now. I know that there's uh, well over like a thousand prints on sale anyway, so there probably yeah. is a lot more than yeah. the 200 that I thought. But um, it's, it's such a good cause, to be honest. Like I was shocked when um, Celine, I suppose, well, I'll tell you a bit about it, I suppose. Um, I suppose over the last couple of months, everybody's been, their lives have been kind of turned upside down by this um, pandemic, you know, and... Um, especially, you know, vulnerable women and children. And I suppose the ISPCC were getting inundated with, with calls by, uh, by children, you know, looking yeah. for help. And women as well, they were, they were calling up women's aid. And there was something like, I heard a statistic, and it was something like there's a 30% increase in, in the volume of calls they're receiving at the moment, which is crazy yeah. in regards to kind of domestic abuse. So a design studio in Dublin called um, uh, Richards D, um, they basically set up a campaign called Creatives Against COVID-19. I suppose it's a kind of reaction to the current crisis. I suppose it's a way to reframe the current crisis in a more kind of hopeful, optimistic kind of way. So Celine, um, from uh, the co-founder of Richards D in Dublin, um, mailed me through Instagram and asked would I would I consider taking part and I said absolutely you know for it's, it's for a really good cause so um it's funny because a lad I went to college with uh, Ryan Kavanagh hi Ryan um <laughs> he works with Richard you know so that's probably how I got uh, hooked up really with Celine but um basically yeah they set it up as a reaction and a kind of way to reframe the current crisis in a more kind of hopeful optimistic kind of way you know so that's it for this week's Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. You can find more news, sports, arts, entertainment and much, much more on limerickpost.ie or by picking up a copy of this week's Limerick Post newspaper. You can also follow the hashtag KeepingLimerickPosted to keep up to date with all Limerick news across all social media channels. We really are Keeping Limerick Posted.